We're spending several Sunday mornings thinking about some of the major topics in Proverbs. If you're visiting with us today, this is just our second week, and we're thinking today about the subject of purity, about being pure, specific, specifically sexual and moral purity. And I can assure you that the devil does not want me to talk about this today. This is something that just kind of gets out there in the real world where everybody lives. In fact, one of the reasons I know that is last night I had finished a uh, uh, dinner. I had, I don't know about you guys, but sometime at night I like to make eggs and pancakes or eggs and waffles. And so I did that last night. And then I was cleaning out my frying pan in the, uh, in the sink there and I heard a boom and all of a sudden the electricity went out in part of my neighborhood. I mean, just completely dark out of power for, for over five hours. And so I thought, well, you know, I really was counting on some of this time to finish my sermon for Sunday morning. And now it's completely dark in my house. Fortunately, I have some of those battery-operated candles. I want you to see how I prepared this sermon last night. I think this will be meaningful to you right there. Do we have a picture? Well, I don't guess, I don't guess we... There it is right there. And so I felt a little bit like Abraham Lincoln last night because we know from history that he used to study a lot with battery-operated candles, right? And then take a picture of it on his cell phone. That's what he did. But I thought, you know, I've got to finish this sermon. And so there I sat last night, and I thought, God, it's not ideal, but I know what I want to say, but it's so dark in this room, and what if I can't get this sermon clearly in my mind? What will I say to the people tomorrow morning? And I just felt this thought go through my mind. If you can't think of anything else to say, say this. God is in favor of purity. God wants us to be pure. And so I thought about that. God does want us to be pure. All through Scripture, we're told to be pure. And then I had another thought that ran through my mind. God is opposed to impurity. God is opposed to sexual immorality. We know that. And then I had another thought that ran through my mind, and that is this. God, when He looks down from heaven, knows whether you are pure or whether you're not pure. He knows whether I'm pure or whether I'm not pure. Now, in the book of Proverbs, I want to show you two verses to begin with this morning. First of all, go to chapter number 5, because in Proverbs chapter 5 and in verse number 21, we see a very interesting verse, and it says, for the ways of man or the ways of a woman, the ways of a person are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his steps. He observes, he pays attention to how we're living our lives. And then go to chapter number 15. Just turn to the right a few pages. Proverbs chapter 15. And in verse number three, anytime I read through my Proverbs in a month, when I come to day 15, this verse always speaks to me. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. And so God is able to look down from heaven and to look at all of us, and He knows whether or not we're pure or whether we're maybe not so pure. So I thought last night, as I was just finishing this, I thought it sure would be good if I had a definition of purity. Now, this is one of those topics I think we all know what it is, but nonetheless, if we could just have a sentence that kind of describes what do we mean by purity, it might be helpful. So I came up with this, and I think this pretty much says it. Purity is a condition that we're in when our, when our minds and our thoughts are godly, when our heart is clean, 
and when our actions honor the Lord. Now, I want to say that again because I think that really encompasses what purity is. Purity is a condition. In other words, every one of us here today, we're either in the condition of living a pure life, we're, we're like that, we're healthy, or we're living an immoral life, an impure life. You're bound to be in one of those categories. Well, what is purity? It is the condition we're in when our thoughts are godly, when our heart is clean, and when our actions are honor the Lord. That really is what purity is all about. And if you think about it, there are several benefits to living a pure life. And let me say at the beginning of this sermon, something that I think will be a repeated theme as we go through. None of us who's here today, no matter how much you love God or how much we love God, no matter how long we've been saved, there's not a one of us here today who is perfect and who is always pure in our thoughts and in our heart and in our behavior. In fact, John Calvin one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, along with Martin Luther, he had one of the great quotes in all of church history. Here's what he said. In every saint, there is something reprehensible. Now think about that. In the best among us, whoever the most godly person is in this room today, however that might be determined, even in that person's mind, in their heart, and sometimes in their actions, there is something reprehensible. There's something that is not good. And so as I'm talking today about purity, I want to get that out there at the beginning to say that purity is something that we pursue. Purity is something that we should strive for, but none of us has, is, or, or will always be perfect in our thoughts or in our heart and our actions. That said, it is something we should pursue to live a life before God that is holy. Now, there are several benefits of a pure life, and I just want to mention some of these to you. First of all, when you're living a pure life, you're pursuing purity. You're not perfect, but you're pursuing a pure life. You're going to have a clear conscience. You're going to be able to sleep well at night because you just you know that there's no sin between you and God. Another benefit of purity is you're going to have an open line of communication between you and God. You know, sometimes a person has a blockage in one of their arteries. The blood's not flowing properly. They go to the hospital. They have surgery, open heart bypass. They put a stent in there. What are they doing? They're opening up that artery so the blood can flow. The blood flows. The person's healthy again. Sometimes spiritually we have a blockage sin somehow in our life, and it's blocking the communication that we have with God. Sometimes a person says, well, you know, I just haven't heard God say anything to me in a long time. Or sometimes a person may say, I even come to church, but I just don't get much out of it. I just, I don't really feel the presence of God. Well, could it be that the reason for that is there's sin in your life, and that sin is blocking the flow of God's Spirit going back and forth between you and Him and having that communication. And then a third benefit of purity is that we're able to see God in our circumstances. Did you know that if you're living a pure life, a holy life, a godly life, that when things happen in your life, even bad, hard, difficult, unfair things, somehow you're going to be able to see the hand of God in that situation. Jesus said this, Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Let's say that together. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. How do we see God? I've never seen God's face or seen God's body. What does it mean? No, that we'll, we'll see that in heaven. But on earth, we see God in the circumstances of our lives. Like last night, even when my lights were out, 
I thought, well, this is going to be a different Saturday night. I'm not going to get to see the end of some of the games or what's happening out there in the world. But I had in me a real peace. And I thought, you know, God is in control. God is sovereign. God has allowed my lights to go out. Maybe tonight God wants me to spend the remaining part of my day just thinking about the services tomorrow and not thinking about all the other stuff going on in the world. And so I was able to see God's hand even when my lights went out last night. Now, if we're not living a pure life, if we're living an immoral life, just the opposite of those things. We'll have a guilty conscience. There's nothing worse than that. We'll have blocked communication between us and God. Psalm 66 in verse 18, the psalmist says, if I have sin in my heart, God won't even hear me when I pray. And so there's no communication between us and God. Something is between us. And then if we're not pursuing purity, when things happen, we're not going to be able to see God in the situation. And so it is very important that we seek to live a pure life. Now, as I think about examples of people in the Bible, people even who loved God, who tripped up and messed up and they, they crossed the line in this area of purity, certainly I think of King David. We know that David was the father of Solomon. Solomon wrote most of these Proverbs, and David was a man who loved God with all of his heart. In fact, the Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. David probably loved God more than anybody else in the Bible, at least as much, because that description is not given of anybody else. And yet we know that on one occasion, David did the unthinkable. He committed adultery with Bathsheba. And theologians tell us, based on the timing of the birth that came from that relationship, that it was probably about a year before David repented of that sin and got right before God. And so for a year, he's going along, not confessing that, not right with God. What did he have? A guilty conscience, lines of communication blocked, spiritually he was blind. David lost three things. You can read Psalm 51, where he confessed his sin. You can read Psalm 32, how happy he was after he was forgiven of his sin. And you see that as a result of that sin of adultery, what did David lose? He lost his peace, he lost his joy, and he lost his enthusiasm for life. You see, that's what sin does. David said, God, my strength my vitality was turned into the drought of summer. My bones ached. He lost everything that was meaningful to him, peace, joy, and enthusiasm for life because sin had taken a toll on David. Now, think about this. David lived in Old Testament times. And so even though he was a believer and he had God in his life, David did not have the Holy Spirit living in him like we have living in us today. In Old Testament times, the Spirit of God did not live in people. The Spirit of God would come on people at certain times for certain specific reasons to empower them to do certain things. And then after they did that, the Spirit would lift off until they needed that power again. That's why David prayed in the psalm, Oh God, don't take your Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. He didn't have the Holy Spirit living in him like we have living in us, and look how miserable he was. Think about this. If you and I are involved in sexual immorality, what is it going to do? Well, if you think David was miserable with the Holy Spirit on him, how miserable do you think we're going to be with the Holy Spirit in us? Someone has well said sin will take you farther than you want to go. It will cost you more than you want to pay, 
and it will keep you longer than you want to stay. There's nothing good about sin, and yet the devil knows how to dangle the temptation before us and try to entice us and then lead us down the wrong road. Now, turn to the New Testament. I want to show you a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. I want you to find this because I could just read it or reference it, but I want you to see this in your Bibles. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6, beginning in verse number 18. Now, the Apostle Paul is talking about purity. We read about it in Proverbs. We read about it in Paul's letters. And he has some very clear language. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18. Notice how he starts it. Flee sexual immorality. Say that with me. Flee sexual immorality. Say it like you believe it. Flee sexual immorality. He didn't say flirt with it. He didn't say see how close to the edge of the cliff you can get without falling over. No. He said flee from it. Every sin, now this is interesting, that a man does or a woman does is outside the body. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. In other words, if you tell a lie, that's bad, that's wrong, that's sin, but that sin took place outside of your body. If you steal something, you should never have done that. But that was outside, you used your body, but nonetheless it was outside of your body. But he says, he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And so Paul is saying that as Christians, our body is the temple of God. And so if we take our bodies that are supposed to be holy and clean and pure and, and right before God, and we engage these physical bodies in acts of sexual immorality, that we are defiling the temple of God, that we are grieving the Spirit of God. And what I'm saying is, and what Scripture teaches is, when we do that, if we do that, the Spirit of God, once grieved, We'll begin to convict us of our sins, and we'll feel guilty and shameful in the lines of communication, or at least temporarily. We haven't lost our salvation, but those lines of communication are broken. Now, as we develop this idea of purity, I want at this point to give a word of warning, and I also want to give a word of encouragement. First of all, the word of warning. This is important for every one of us here today. Now, here we are on a Sunday morning in church, more than likely... Nobody here tonight was out doing something immoral last night, but maybe you were. I mean, you came to church today. Or maybe, you know, maybe you did something good last night. Maybe you did something bad last night. Hopefully you did something good. But, but nonetheless, you're in church today. So the odds are you're not currently involved in sexual immorality, although you could be. But I want to say this. Never assume that you are too good of a Christian to commit sexual immorality. I think sometimes the devil sets us up and he has us thinking, well, now, wait a second, adultery, fornication, sexual immorality, that's not something that I would ever do. That's something for, that somebody else would commit. Well, the Bible says, in fact, you're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn a few pages to the right. I want you to see this verse too. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, that attitude of saying, I would never commit that sin. There's no way that I would ever do that one. Well, look down in verse number 12. Paul said, therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And so he says, if you think that you're too spiritual, you love God too much, 
You're too strong to ever give in to this sin. You may be the next victim. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. All of us need to have our antennas up. All of us need to know that were it not for the grace of God, there's no sin that we're incapable of committing, that we're dependent on Him day by day and moment by moment to try to keep us pure and holy and away from these types of sin. But now the word of encouragement, because I think this is important. And I really want to make this clear today in this message. If you have committed sexual immorality last night, last week, Five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you said, John, I did something that I never should have done. Listen to me. Never assume that just because you messed up in the past that it is too late for you to live a pure life from this moment forward. I can remember in ni- between 1995 and 2002, I was a student minister here. And this is appropriate because I have a lot of students here today. And not every year, but maybe every two or three years, we would have a special emphasis with our students that we call True Love Waits. Most of you are familiar with that. It was a, it was a challenge to take 15, 16, 17, 18-year-old students and say, we're asking you this weekend to make a commitment that but from now until you get married that you're going to be morally and sexually pure. And back in the 90s, especially, true love waits was a big deal in the nation. And it seemed like every time we would have one of those emphases, that there would be a student come up to me, normally a girl, maybe 16, 17 years old, tears in her eyes, and she would say something like this. She would say, John, it's too late for me. Here you have, we have this weekend, you're encouraging everybody to make a commitment to be sexually and morally pure, and I've already messed up. I've already blown it. I've already, done, I've already done something I shouldn't have done. And so I can't, in good conscience, make a commitment to be pure because I'm already um, impure. I've already messed up. And here was the attitude that I always noticed in those kids' minds. And in, here's what they were thinking. They were thinking this. I've messed up. What's the point? And that's the devil's lie right there. And I would say to those, if it was a guy or a girl, I would say to them, listen, you messed up in the past. We've all, met, we've all done something. We've all guilty of some sin. Here's what you need to do. You need to ask God to forgive you and cleanse you and wipe, wipe and wash those sin, that sin away and make a commitment that from this moment forward, you're going to be, with the help of God, moral, morally and sexually pure. And let this be for you a new beginning. Some, somebody needs to hear that today. I can assure you in this service today and those listening at home, there's some who are thinking, too late for me. I've already blown it. Friend, let me tell you this. As long as God is on his throne, as long as Jesus Christ is still in the business of saving souls and forgiving sins, it is never too late for you if you'll confess that sin, repent of that sin, and receive the blood of Jesus. It's not too late. It's not too late. You almost clapped. You should have clapped because that was a good thing I said there. It's not too late. And so the whole message of the God, you remember in, in John chapter 8, here's a lady that was caught in the act of adultery. This is an interesting story. The religious leaders who hated Jesus, by the way, because they, they noticed in him somebody who was gracious and forgiving and all about a second chance and mercy, and, but they brought to Jesus a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. It's always been interesting to me. Where, why didn't they bring the man? Maybe he was one of their friends, right? And they didn't want to get him in trouble, so they brought the woman. And here she is. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, the law says, we would say the Old Testament says, that if somebody does, commits the act of adultery, they ought to be stoned. 
Jesus said, that is what it says. And he, began, he got down on his knees. He began to write in the sand. We don't know what he wrote. Maybe he wrote the Ten Commandments. Maybe he wrote the names of some of the women these men had been with that they never should have been with. We don't know what he wrote. But he wrote something that convicted them. Because when he got finished writing it, he stood up and he said, in essence, you're right. The Old Testament says if somebody commits adultery, they ought to be stoned. Here's the deal. Whichever one of you has never sinned, you throw the first stone. You see, maybe they hadn't committed that sin. Maybe they hadn't committed the sin of adultery. And as a result of that, they thought they were better than this lady because she had committed that sin. Jesus said, you may not have committed that sin, but you've committed sin. And if, but if you think you're perfect, throw the first stone. They had to drop their stones and they walked off. The point is, Jesus forgave that lady, and then he said to her, go and sin no more. And that is the word from God today. Whatever sins that any of us have committed in the past, that if we will repent, God will forgive those sins. Some of you who study church history will be familiar with a man named Augustine. Augustine, before he got saved, was a reprobate. He was a wild guy, immoral, involved in all kinds of things, went into prostitutes. I mean, he just was involved in all kinds of sexual immorality. His mother never stopped praying for him. Finally, Augustine got saved, and his life was changed. God began to change his desires and his impulses and his wants, and he, he just was a new person. And, and yet, he, he still had that guilt and shame for those sins he had committed before he got saved. One day, he was walking down one of the streets in the town where he lived, one of the sidewalks, and, and there was, he could see out of the corner of his eye across the street was this other lady who was a prostitute. And he was a, she was a lady that they had spent time together before he got saved. And he saw her and he was embarrassed. He thought, oh, man, that brings back all those memories, those things I'm now ashamed of. And, and she saw Augustine and, and she was reminded of how much fun they had and, 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 you know, all that. And so she tried to get his attention. She said, Augustine, Augustine. He said, don't look, don't look, just keep walking, don't look, don't look. Oh, she got loud. He was embarrassed. I mean, she's, she's calling out, Augustine, Augustine. And finally, at the top of her lungs, she said, Augustine, it is I. And he stopped and he looked at her and he said, I know that it is you, but it is no longer I. What was Augustine saying? He said, I know who you are. I know what happened in the past, but God has changed me and God has done a new work and I'm not the same person anymore. And so today that should be true uh, for all of us. We should feel like, you know, God has changed us and God has given us a new beginning in our lives. Now, the question is, how can we pursue purity from this moment forward? Whether you say today, John, I've never committed adultery. Well, praise God. for That's great. You say, I've never committed any sexual immorality. Hallelujah. Or you say, no, I have done those things. Well, if you have, be forgiven. If you haven't, be on guard. We may not have done that, but we've certainly done other sins, proving that we have the capability of sinning. But going forward, how can we pursue purity in our lives? I want to mention three things today. Number one, watch what you watch. We live in a day with hundreds or even thousands of cable television stations, many of them showing things that we have no business watching. And so we have to watch what we watch. The Internet makes pornography, and it just makes all these, these, these sexual sins so accessible and so easy for people to get involved in. And so we have to watch what we watch. Through the years, I've read about religious leaders, Christian leaders, who travel to preach or to do something, and I remember reading years ago about one of Billy Graham's associates, the one who led worship all those years, Cliff Barrows, when he would go into a hotel, 
he would take a towel and put it over the television, and, and the whole time he was there, he said, I don't even want to turn the TV on and in any way be tempted to watch something that I shouldn't watch. What was he saying? He was saying, I could be tempted. I might be tempted. I'm going to cover the TV up. Now, I'm not suggesting that if you travel that you should go in the room and turn, you know, put a towel over the TV. I'm not suggesting that, but I am saying this. If that's going to be a strong temptation for you, it might not be a bad idea. And so we have to watch what we watch. And then we have to guard our hearts in Proverbs chapter 4. In fact, let's go back. I want you to see this verse back in Proverbs chapter number 4. And in verse number 23, this is one of the classic verses in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Let me let you find it because I want you to see this verse. And I'm reading in the New King James. It says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Some translations say, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. If your heart's not right, you're not right. If my heart's not right, I'm not right. So we have to guard our hearts. And the first thing we have to guard is our eyes. Because if our eyes are focusing on stuff, seeing things that we shouldn't see, that can get in our hearts And now we're desiring things that we shouldn't desire. That's what happened to David. He looked out the window of his house, and he sees this beautiful lady taking a bath. If you've been to Jerusalem, you know that the city of David, old Jerusalem, was built on a a mountain, on a hill. What we call a hill, really a mountain. And so the houses were built on top of each other. So if you're at the top of the mountain, you can look down at the other people's houses. Well, her bathtub was on the roof of her house. And so he goes out on the patio, and he looks down. I remember the first time that I was there. Look at this. I remember it's, it's so obvious how, how he got in trouble like this. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he saw her, and he saw that she was beautiful. See, the sin began in his, mind, in his eyes. He saw something he shouldn't have seen. And then we read he wanted her. He started thinking about her. He started desiring her. And then we read that he sent his aides, he was the king, to call for her and brought him up. When you read that story, you kind of feel sorry for Bathsheba because you're left to wonder, did she even have any real say in the matter? I mean, he's the king. He's summoning her. And yet, that's exactly what happened. And so she came to his uh, room, his, his house up there, and they committed adultery together. And, but it started with his eyes and then in his heart. And then he calls for her, and the deed is done, and the sin is committed. And so this is why it says, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. And then the next thing I would say, be careful where you go. Watch, your, watch what you watch. Guard your heart. And be careful where you go. In other words, sexual sin is something that you make a decision to do it, and then with your feet, you move in that direction. Now, look in chapter 5 of Proverbs. I want you to notice something. In my Bible, at the top of chapter 5, the heading says, The Peril of Adultery. Go to chapter number 6 and look beginning in verse number 20. The heading in my Bible says, Beware of Adultery. Look in verse number 27. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes in to his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Verse 32. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. And so, and then look in verse number 7, beginning in verse number 6. We read about the adulterous woman here. And we read about a, a young man 
who, who knew where this adulterous woman lived. He had seen her. She was attractive. He began to desire her with his heart, and he ends up committing this act. Now, I want to read an extended passage. I normally wouldn't read this many verses, but I want us to today. Chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, this is written by someone who is looking out the window of their house, and they see this young man fall into the trap. It began with his eyes, then with his ears he heard her call for him, and in his heart he desired to be with her and commit this act, and then with his feet he went to her house. So look in verse 6. For at the window of my house I looked through my lattice and saw among the simple, I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the street near her corner, and he took the path to her house. In the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night, and there a woman met him with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart. She was loud and rebellious. Her feet would not stay at home. At times she was outside, at times in the open square, lurking at every corner. She caught him and kissed him with an impudent or a shameless face. And she said to him, I have peace offerings with me. Today I've paid my vow. So I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. And I have found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, covered uh, colored coverings of Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. With her enticing speech, she caused him to yield. With her flattering words, she seduced him. Immediately he went after her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost him his life. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart. It's all about the heart. That's where it really takes root. Turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For she has cast down many wounded, and all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, literally to Sheol, death, descending to the chambers of death. What happened to this young man? He knew where this woman lived. He saw that she was attractive. He desired her company. With his feet, he went near her house. With his ears, he heard her calling for him. With his feet, he went into her house. The sin was committed. The deed was done. And the person who's watching this saying, that young man doesn't know that he is following her like an ox to the slaughter. And if he doesn't repent of that, it will ruin and destroy his life. And that's what I'm saying to you. We have to be careful where we go. Now, you still listen? Say amen. As I was thinking last night how to end this sermon, and I know some of you are thinking, we don't care how you end it, just end it, right? That's what you're thinking, and I'm about to end it. But a couple of things came to mind. First, I thought this, whatever we do in the dark eventually comes out in the light, right? Last night I was home writing a sermon in the dark. That's what I was doing. Now, whether the sermon's good, bad, or somewhere in between, that's for you to decide. But whatever it is, what I did last night in the dark is coming out today in the full light, right? Well, that's true on the negative. If we're doing something sinful in the dark, it's going to come out in the light. Augustine, if I could quote him again, he gave this definition of character. And so today, the passage I read about was about 
adultery. It could be fornication. It could be uh, pornography. It could be any immorality at all. Augustine said this, character is what a person is in the dark. Character is what a person is when nobody's watching. Character is not what I am now, standing in a church with a Bible in my hand. You say, well, John's got character. Well, I hope I do, but whether I do or don't, my character is not defined by what I do up here on 30 Minutes on Sunday. My character is defined out there in the real world, living my life, and so is yours. Your character is not revealed in a one-hour worship service. Your character is revealed. What are you like when nobody is watching but God? Augustine said, character is what a person is in the dark. And so I want to challenge us today. It's just this simple. It's not always simple to do, but it's simple to make the challenge. Beginning today, let's make a commitment to honor God in the dark. By dark, I mean when nobody's around, when it would be easy to commit some sin and nobody would know. Let's honor God in the dark. You know, as I was thinking about this young man in Proverbs chapter 7 with his eyes, he saw this lady was attractive. With his feet, he pursued her. With his heart, he desired her. With his ears, he heard her solicitations like an ox to the slaughter. And I was thinking, okay, if we're going to make a commitment today to honor God in the dark, by the way, if you think that's a good commitment for us to all make, say amen, say amen. It is. Honor God in the dark. Well, I thought about a song that I learned when I was a little kid. Now, some of you grew up in going to church like I did, and you're going to know this song when I start to sing it. And others of you here today, maybe you're new to church and you didn't grow up going to church and you didn't go to Sunday school or vacation Bible school, so maybe you don't know this song. Maybe it'll be new to you. But I want to, and and you know I don't sing well at all, but uh, don't amen that, but but I'm not a good singer. But if you recognize this song, when I start singing it, I want you to sing it along with me. But I want to make one disclaimer before I start. It seems like for me, whether it's Jesus loves me, he's got the whole world in his hand, or this song we're about to sing, anytime I sing a song from my childhood, I start to cry. And I don't know why that is. It just takes me back. And it touches my heart how I learned that song. See, now I go right and singing yet, and I'm crying. And so maybe getting it out of me so when I sing it, I'll be a man. I won't be crying like that. would be tough. But I want, you know, as I think about honoring God in the dark, listen, whatever we do in the dark, be it good or bad, it's going to come out in the light. Whatever we do in the dark, it's going to affect our conscience. We'll either have a clear conscience or a dirty conscience, a guilty conscience. Whatever we do in the light, it affects whether or not we have an open line of communication between us and God where we feel those promptings of the Spirit, where we sense the moving of the Holy Spirit, where when God speaks, we can hear it. And if we're pure in the dark, when things happen in our lives that are hard and difficult and unjust and unfair and even at times unthinkable, God, how could you have allowed me to go through this? If we have a pure heart, Not a perfect heart, but a pure heart. We're pursuing purity. Somehow, some way, we will be able to see the hand of God in our difficulty. Even last night when the lights went out, I didn't understand it. But it didn't freak me out. It didn't make me upset. I just thought, God, somehow, this is how this night's supposed to be. Me, you, and the battery-operated candles. That's how it's going to be. How do we honor God in the dark? 
If you recognize this song, sing it with me. Try not to cry. Ready? Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. How about what we listen to? Let's sing another verse. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. Oh, be careful, little ears, what you hear. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little ears, what you hear. How about this? This would be good. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. For the Father up above is looking down in love. So be careful, little mouth, what you say. How about one more? The feet, that's what could get us into trouble. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. For the Father up above, He is looking down with love. So be careful, little feet, where you go. Amen. I think we did good. I think we did good. You guys helped me out. (laughs) Made that a, a bearable experience, right? Now listen, today, like I said, you may be here today say, John, I wish I wouldn't have come to church today. Because, man, that's the one sin I did, and now I feel really bad. No, if you feel really bad, you miss my sermon. Because what I've been trying to say is don't feel bad. Get forgiven, be cleansed, and move on. Maybe today you're sitting next to a spouse, and they've committed that sin. Listen, don't throw that back in their face. Don't keep reminding them of that. God, they already feel bad. You assure them of your forgiveness and just say, hey, from this moment on, we're going to walk clean and we're going to walk pure. What did Jesus say? Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. And so, you know, whatever we have done in the past or whatever we haven't done in the past, the key is that today and forward, we want to pursue a pure life with God's help. Amen. And so with our heads bowed and eyes closed today, first of all, that for all of us, we need to pray that prayer, God, help me to be pure. Just make some kind of a commitment today. Let's not just hear the the message and go home. Let's make some kind of a commitment. God, help me to live a pure life. God, forgive me for where I failed you. In this area and in any other area, God, forgive me and cleanse me. And beginning today forward, help me to live a pure life. Help me to honor you in the dark when it would be easier not to when it might be more exhilarating not to, more exciting not to. Help me to honor you when I'm away from the church and away from the people and even when I'm in the dark. Now, some today, I would think, it certainly happened in the first service, there's some here today who say, you know, John, I I, I need to be saved. I don't know that I've ever received Jesus Christ in a personal way to change my life, to be my Lord and, and to be my Savior. One of the ways that we know that we're saved is that when we sin, we get convicted of sin. You may say, you know, John, I do some of those things, and I, I guess I felt a little guilty, but I haven't really felt too bad about it. 
Well, it may be that you don't have the Holy Spirit living in you. So today, there's some, I believe, in this service who need to be saved. Would you pray this prayer? Say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive my sins and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me, Lord. And I trust you to do it. I trust you. Welcome to my heart, Lord. Begin now to make me the person that you want me to be.